Following yesterday's breakout at the offshore prison known as the Raft, official word has it that 45 of its 87 superhuman prisoners have been returned to custody. No word, of course, on the current whereabouts of the other 42. More details are emerging from London, where the US government agent Captain America was recently seen clashing with the AIM splinter group Advanced Ideas in Destruction. There are also reports of superhuman conflict at the buildings owned by the secretive, ultra-wealthy organization the Hellfire Club in Paris and Hong Kong. This is Doombot TW18 for the VOL. Zero, one, one, this is, the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, one. Here in Latveria, we get news from all over the world. The news may be good, or bad, but we will always tell you the truth, as Lord Doom sees it. Every week on The Voice of Latveria, we examine Marvel Comics history, through the career of its greatest hero, Dr. Victor Von Doom. And now, here's your host, Douglas Walk, the man who has read every Marvel superhero comic book, and lived to tell us all about it. Thank you so much, JL 20 this week we're going to be looking at Spider-Man Human Torch number one from 2005. Again, we're kind of jumping around in terms of when these comics that we're looking at were published. But the way that the show is structured is that we're going through Doctor Doom's entire career in the order that he experienced it, as opposed to publication order or even general Marvel chronology. The difference there being time travel, because Doom has time platform. I should also uh, note that a couple people have asked, well, if we're going through all of Doom's career in chronological order, why don't we start with uh, the episodes, the, the issues where we see him as a child? And the answer to that is that every issue in which we have seen Victor Von Doom as a child, that scene is a flashback, and there is also a present-day component of it. So we're organizing it according to the present-day parts of those stories. Anyway... Here's our special guest for this week. Welcome, Kian Ross. Good uh, to be here. Kian, I don't actually know you very well aside from the fact that you are one of the people on the message board for my Patreon and always have super interesting things to say about the comics that uh, we're talking about. So talk a little about yourself and who you are and introduce yourself. I'm a current grad student uh, in New York City who is studying to get uh, his MBA with a focus in accounting with the goal of becoming a CPA who is primarily going to be working in theater and nonprofit world. Okay. Unlike some of your other guests, I'm not a doctorate, so I, that doesn't quite fit with the Dr. Doom theme. I am a current student and longtime comic book fan. In terms of how I even, ended, I have a slight story of how I ended up on your uh, Patreon. When your first book came out, uh, reading comics, I was in high school and I was a big fan of it. And I kind of kept read read your stuff here and there and then i heard about this giant project you were doing i believe through a video um powerpoint you did at uh, one of your local uh books and pictures yeah. stores books yeah. and pictures um and i was like oh this is look at that guy great and i started following you and then you posted on you said you create a page and i said well, this is a great chance to do it and i've been there since day one i don't always comment but i read every day we should actually maybe say what goes on on that message board because a lot of people who listen to the podcast may not know about the Patreon or what what the message board is. It's like a it's a book club, um, yeah, a daily book club with an issue a day that can be found on Marvel Unlimited that you cur curate. 
and kind of decide weeks in advance what kind of ways we're going. And it can either be based on a certain creator or based on a certain storyline or such, or any ideas that you decide or we suggest. And uh, you post the first thing every day and I read it and then I might respond or I might not respond. I do read it, Douglas. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, we've been uh, going pretty much daily for well over two years now. Um, at the moment, uh, as this airs, we will be continuing, I think, to uh, plow through X of Swords, which uh, we've been kind of doing the run up to X of Swords for a couple months, and we're finally hitting like first Empire and then X of Swords proper, and that's that's going to be a whole thing. Really ready for the twenty six part like. X crossover? Is it twenty six? It's, 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 it's a long one. It's twenty two, but it's 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 long. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. It goes in some directions that it really doesn't look like it's going to go at the beginning. Like that, it it makes some major swerves, and I, I I appreciate that. Today, though, what we're looking at is Spider-Man: Human Torch number one from two thousand five. This is uh, Dan Slott and Ty Templeton working together, uh, and so you're a longtime Dan Slott reader. Yes, I probably the first time I was really reading superhero comics in. Uh, Full Bloom was one of those first published. And not only this May series, but his work on She-Hulk and the Great Lake Avengers at Teenage Key and was extremely excited because they're so funny and such. Then I, the, the old story of you going to college and you drift off of the, the habit of the weekly bind uh, happened to me for that. Um, I kept reading comics, but it was mostly things like Love and Rockets and uh, a lot of non-superhero things. Every once in a while, I trade paperback that I asked my library to get or something. Then um, after graduation and around like, this would be around like 2015, 16, I uh, got an iPad and you know, I've heard about this Marvel Limited thing. Let me take a look. Uh, and what I wanted to, um, one of the things I started reading right was like, you know, I remember I really liked that She-Hulk guy. He was really funny. I heard he did Spider-Man. So that's supposed to be a jump on point. So I'll start there. And following his run, first in the brand new day and onwards kind of got me up to date with Spider-Man that started getting up to date with a bunch of other characters. And now basically every, every new release on Marvel Unlimited that launched or dropped out, read probably at least half of them on the day they're released. Um, So he, so he's to blame for that uh, in short. Um, But this miniseries in particular, I think is maybe not my favorite thing he's ever written, but definitely my favorite thing he's written for the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I and mean, Slot is a very, very big fan of the Stanley Spider-Man and the Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four periods. Like he goes back to that well a lot. He knows it all really, like chapter and verse, and runs a lot of interesting variations on Spider-Man, particularly in his run. At the point when he wrote uh, this miniseries, I think 2005, 2006, I think the only real Spider-Man thing he'd done before was actually a story in an issue of Ren and Stimpy. I think there's some Venom things there too you can find back yeah, up yeah. before, but yeah, not not that much. Yeah. But he he was writing Ren and Stimpy before he started writing superhero comics. And I think he, he wrote like a uh backup series in a Ghost Rider reprint series with like the the original Ghost Rider, like the the old West Ghost Rider. But then we got this, which is him doing a sort of light, funny set sometime in the mid 60s Spider-Man Human Torch story, which for people who are like, but where is Dr. Doom? There's some Dr. Doom in here. There's a little bit of Dr. Doom in here. 
a little bit like what you said like three pages something like that three or four i'll, I'll check but it's yes it's he's it's not a lot the, he's the third villain to appear in this issue <laughs> you were saying that you had some some thoughts about like the overall shape of this of this spider-man human torch yeah human torch and spider-man i think were have a long history as being friends in kind of the marvel universe so right. they kind of talk about some here but even after this point when Marvel team up first launches, like the first couple issues are just the two of them being a team up and it's well-established and it's a, it's an interesting friendship for a lot of ways. Um, but what they don't have before this mini series is Johnny storm and Peter Parker don't have a relationship. And I feel like this, the, the point of this uh, project was to recon a relationship between Johnny storm and Peter Parker. And that uh, friendship rivalry, but mostly friendship, I think you see really bloom in any other things that Dan Slav has written with the two characters together, uh, which I think in his brand new day stuff, and also some in, um, in some of his uh, current Fantastic Four run. It's really hitting a lot of the touchstones here. Uh, you know, it, we open with a Mole Man scene. We open with a very silly Mole Man theme where uh, it turns out the Mole Man has been uh, stealing classic artworks like the painting of dogs playing poker. It's just like a, a throwaway hit and run gag kind of thing. Ty Templeton, who's drawing this, has had kind of a long relationship with working with Slot too. Yeah, uh, they, they think they worked together a lot of those um, those DC comics, which were adaptations of the animated shows. Yeah, they've been Slot's been talking about them some on his Twitter. He, he tends really? to be on Twitter. He tends to be on Twitter a lot, yeah. as shown on that episode of Six One Six. Yes. <laughs> I like that episode a whole lot. You know, Templeton has been doing comics even longer than Slot has. Uh, I remember back in the 1980s, he was doing a series called Stig's Inferno with Vortex Comics that I really, really liked. It was just this weird kind of free associative comic about uh, this slacker with a horrible little goatee who ends up accidentally running hell. As you do. As you do. And then he... Uh, ended up drawing Blue Devil or a couple of Blue Devil stories and has been doing stuff at Marvel, at DC, kind of all over the place for a really long time. He's writing things, drawing things, uh, and he's got this kind of long-term collaborative relationship with Slot. They they actually did some uh, Johnny Storm and uh, Peter Parker stuff in Slot's Long Amazing Spider-Man run too. Slot was recently talking about how on their work on uh, Batman Adventure, comics they would trade off on who would plot yeah. and i think he he credited uh templeton with teaching him how to write in a short form in a short constrained pages a page limit which i think is one of the nice things about slides that he is one of those traditionalists who's like okay we need to make sure every character's name is the first thing you hear we have to make sure there's a beginning middle event of each page and this is and one of the reasons I'm a fan. Templeton does a lot of gag strips. He does uh, a lot of one-page things for a while in uh, the Marvel Adventures comics that things made for young readers. He was doing like a, a little two-page feature that was a bunch of 
Marvel Universe equivalents of familiar newspaper gag strips. So, you know, there would be like a, a family circus strip with like young Thanos coming home and uh, saying, you know, uh, today in school they taught us uh, how to snap my fingers. And uh, when I did that, you know, half the classes got canceled. That one's in there. I think they also have a Peter Parker, good old Peter Parker yeah. blockhead or something like that, where I think Captain Marvel gets cast as Lucy for some reason. And that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense, actually. This particular story, this this first issue of their miniseries, is it's a sitcom kind of plot. It is Johnny Storm deciding that he needs to get somebody to be his official photographer. And oh, what about that Parker kid I've met a couple times? Like he's he's used to foot, photographing people. Well, though I think they make a point that even though they've met a couple of times, Johnny does not remember him. Yeah, in any way. <laughs> yeah. It's placing it like at a particular point in the early Amazing Spider-Man stuff after they have met a few times already, which it doesn't quite actually fit there for ridiculous continuity reasons, like, which is weird for Dan Slott, who's usually like letter perfect about continuity stuff. You don't get to see many Spider-Man villains in this one. You get to see all the Fantastic Four villains. And we get to see the Human Torch's arch enemy, Paste Pot Pete. Pete. The, the one of the greatest literative um, villains of our time. Oh my God. He does wear purple and green. He does wear villain colors. And the scene here is beautiful. You know, Paste Pop Pete pulls his paste gun on Spider-Man and announces who he is. And Spider-Man can't even be bothered to fight him. He just kind of like falls over laughing. Paste Pop Pete can't deal with how funny that is. It does get a nice, it, it works as a, as a recon uh, for why he changed his name. Yeah, he, Trapster. He, he, yeah, he, he becomes the Trapster after that. But uh, and then, So finally we get to our scene at the Latverian Embassy. Okay, so because of the rivalry between Johnny Storm and Spider-Man, Johnny Storm has wanted to get a better publicity and thinks this will happen by him fighting supervillains and being photographed afar by Peter Parker. Uh, not a lot of supervillains around, so he has the bright idea, well, where do I know there will be a supervillain? Latverian Embassy, in which Doom takes him out off panel. Yeah. We get to see him fly in, and Spider-Man realize, oh, is he going to be stupid enough to do this? And then we see Johnny Storm frozen in a block of ice. Let's what say, is it with Dr. Doom and freezing people? I mean, in this case... It makes sense for a heat-powered villain, I guess, unless the, he'd be able to get out because he can melt it around you. Right. But he, of course, doesn't manage to do that, so maybe Dr. Doom was correct in this regard. Yeah. Uh, he says, By now you must realize that my subthermic cannons have rendered you helpless in a cryogenic state. Really, like, cold seems like the least likely weapon to work against Johnny Storm. And yet... And yet, these he's frozen he's in the block of ice and we see spider-man you know, setting up his camera to take some pictures and then thinking what's going to work here and going down to latverian embassy and addressing doom as formally as he can manage which is not very formally peter can't do formal he can't do dignified well, it's, it's a nervous situation. Yeah, a, Peter Parker's kind of like a nervous laughter kind of guy. That's what that Spider-Man is basically his way of dealing with his nervousness by making a bunch of jokes. He calls back to 
the episode we we heard um, a month or so ago, Amazing Spider-Man number five, where Doom presented himself to Peter as a potential new father figure, as a mentor, as a you know, let's join forces, let's be partners. We're we're you know, we're kind of like each other. We we are both outcasts. We're both hated. And he says, well, I thought about it, and you were right. I mean, really right. Me, you, this could work, totally. So what do you say, partner? Hey, I know I'm in. Doom is not persuaded, insists that Peter kneel before him and swear on his immortal soul. Doom knows from immortal souls. He knows a lot about, more, a lot more about mortal souls than Peter does, for one. That's true. Uh, Peter has been really kind of cavalier with his immortal soul, if you think about it. But he's a lot later, he basically is willing to sell it. Yeah, totally. Uh, and Peter says, you know, I swear I will serve the will of Doom now and forever. And Doom, of course, delivers a wonderful bah. I'm a connoisseur of uh, Doom's bahs, but he's a bah. Mere words. What actions will you offer up to prove your unwavering loyalty? Peter's like, well, so... He, he riffs on the diplomatic immunity thing, which is... The thing about Doom that makes the least sense all through this period, he treats diplomatic immunity as meaning that he can get away with doing literally whatever he wants to do. I have not had an expert in international law appear on the show yet. I would like to. I have not. But it doesn't really work that way, I think. I do think that reading at least a little Dr. Doom as a kid, I did think this is how a diplomatic community, and I'm still not entirely sure how it works these days. Yeah. Uh, is it mostly parking tickets you can get out of? Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man. Is, you know, so we're technically on Latvian soil since we're at the embassy. Can you give me a pardon for murder if I were to you know, kill the human torch here? Now, they're rivals. They, they do quarrel a lot. I don't know that anybody is going to buy that Spider-Man is going to kill him on the spot. If I think we've learned anything about the Marvel populace is they're willing to believe a lot of different things about Spider-Man. That's very true. That varies from day to day. Uh, I don't think he's been accused of murder by this point. No, no. Uh, yeah, no. Um, so but do you- as time goes on, they'll say he killed that old man. When they talk about George Stacy, he gets accused of murder for that. So they're willing to believe he's possibly a killer. So Dr. Doom, maybe he's thinking the same thing. Like, ah, spiders are creepy. So if you have spiders, then you're a bad guy. Yeah, you you do have to kind of buy that that's what's going to happen. What specifically would the Human Torch have done to tick Spider-Man off that badly? I do have one theory. My theory is that it was arranging for their meeting place to be the Statue of Liberty, as we see on the cover of this issue and not elsewhere. The Human Torch can fly. He can get to the Statue of Liberty anytime he wants. Spider-Man cannot. How is he going to get there? We later see him hitching a ride on a helicopter or just taking the Staten Island Ferry. I think uh, in the last issue, they bring up this point and he says, one time I had to make a, a, a raft for myself out of my webs, and I just had to kind of row myself to the Statue of Liberty for a while. But he always seems to get there first in all these stories. He seems to get there first, and Human Torch pops up later. So oh. he's a go-getter in a way that Human Torch never quite managed. Fair. So the Human Torch is at this point still frozen inside a gigantic block of ice. Spider-Man rips it off the Latvian Embassy's roof, uh, prepares to throw it, 
Doom is yelling, yes, dash him upon the ground, do it now. And Spider-Man just kind of like swings off holding this gigantic block of ice with the human torch inside and then chips him out of it. Basically. (laughs) Basically, well, he doesn't do it perfectly. Doesn't do it perfectly. He's using ice picks made out of um, webs. Is there anything that they can't make? It's a really impressive invention of Mr. Parker's. Um, unfortunately, he's a better inventor than an ice sculptor and ends up taking off some frozen follicles, which leads to a bald human torch. Yeah, that's basically the size of it. I mean, the whole issue is really for that gag. Interestingly, as Spider-Man swings off, Dr. Doom is going on about how you have made an enemy whose power you cannot begin to comprehend. You shall rue this day. Now... Doom is somebody who generally pays his debts. Like, if he makes a threat, he's going to try to follow through on it. It's a really, really, really long time before he does anything to bug Spider-Man again. He's got his hands full in the meantime. He's playing a long game. But I think it's, like, almost Amazing Spider-Man 350 by the time he gets around to hassling Spider-Man. Maybe the time he... Maybe there's a missing issue right with that missing issue of Mysterio. That's this is a, Maybe that's a... Maybe that one issue Dan Slott's going to write as a flashback and we'll see it as a big anniversary crossover. I would not put it past him. He, he's, done a, he's done a couple of flashback stories in his current Fantastic Four run too, right? Yeah, he had um, a flashback about when Iceman in his Frosty the Snowman phase uh, joined the Fantastic Four. Um, and even he did... a. He did some, he's done some nice flashbacky things. He likes to work in the different periods, as you mentioned. Even I think in his, fanta- in his so one issue of his Spider-Man run where it's after Human Torch has died, got better. Yeah. Uh, but he has each of the members of the Fantastic Four have flashback memories of them and Spider-Man hanging out. So he, he likes that. So Dan Slott, if you're listening right now, this is your chance to redeem your continuity mistake. I know it eats at you at night. This is your chance. Cross fingers. Iceman is a CPA too, right? I and mean, he, he did study accounting college. He is an accountant. A girlfriend once asked me what superhero I relate most to. And I said, Iceman. And she said, is there more you have to tell me about yourself now? <laughs> That's said, amazing. So he's an accountant. He's, he's worked like one day in his life outside of the X-Men. Like that first issue of X-Factor shows him like in a, in a big firm. So you think it's called back and he just says, I'll just keep track of the, the school's books from this time on. You know, I wonder if he's going to show up in X Corp as you know, the, the X-Men's account. That would be amazing. It's a, it'd be a step up. They're, they're now, it's not just one school. It's a whole nation. That's a lot of responsibility. That's true. Uh, you need, you need somebody who's ready for it. The one thing that I think I find most powerful about the miniseries as a whole kind of comes to a head in uh, the final issue, but what happens, we see at the beginning of this, is the mutual jealousy between Peter Parker and Human Torch. Particularly, it's pretty obvious why Peter Parker would be jealous of the Human Torch. We've kind of seen it in the past. He has a public identity. He's beloved. He gets to have his face be shown. He gets to have all the money, all the girls, all the things that fame brings. Cars. Um, Don't forget cars. He cars. He loves cars. Peter Parker, he had one car he liked, yeah. he had the Spider-Mobile, but yeah. jo- it was really Johnny's um, yeah. creation anyway. Yeah. But 
we get to see the op- opposite of this. I think it's kind of a good Giant Storm thing is why would Giant Storm, what does Giant Storm not have? Giant Storm, like Peter Parker, is an orphan. I, I don't know if at this point his father had died, but his father had been out of the picture uh, yeah. for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He was raised by a sister. And you know, Peter Parker was raised by two parental figures. And that's a pretty different situation than being raised by your sister with an undeterminate age difference between the two of you. <laughs> Peter Parker has had much more successful long-term relationships with a wider variety of women than Human Torch in his career. Very true. Peter Parker has more earned Reed Richards' respect much stronger on an intellectual level than the Human Torch ever managed to do. Right. It's not a lot of stories of... Reed Richards saying, good job, Johnny. <laughs> this is, a, you are so intelligent to doing this. Every writer tries to like have, this is where Human Torch grows up. Then the next writer just reverts him back to being. I like hot rods. Yeah. yeah. I got rods. Yes. We get to see some of this here when the scene between Aunt May and such, we see Johnny Storm being like, God, imagine if I had a mother figure who loved mm-hmm. me, who takes care of me to this day. Mm-hmm. Just, pretty fair it kind of climaxes this might be a spoiler for the end but of the whole maze here the climax is where spider-man has re- reveals his identity to human torch and the human torch basically reacts with and you're peter parker god you have all the luck which is a nice reversal i think he even says you got you got parent figures reed loves you you're a scientist you were able to have a career outside of being a superhero you're literally married to a supermodel at the moment it's, I call it the Parker luck, which of yeah. course yeah. is a well-known phrase. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that I think is one of the more interesting ways to look at Johnny Storm. A lot of people don't get to see as much is a wounded orphan who isn't able to really build anything successfully on his own. He didn't, he didn't get to finish college. He went back at least twice, I think in his run, he, yeah. he 60s, he tried, but, he just kept on missing it, and Wingfoot did fine. <laughs> I think we're back in the 70s, but then it turned out to be a big plot by some one of the villains who likes to mesmerize people. Every, every 10 years, you get another, I should go back to college. Yeah. Um, but it's a dynamic I quite like. Um, in terms of Dr. Doom in this issue, it feels a little bit like a progression of like building the stakes of the villains. Right. Mole Man, first villain, Pace Pop Pete, charitably a villain who appeared in a solo story of Human Torch. Too charitable there. Mm-hmm. And then the big bad Doctor Doom. And I think in continuity, this might, is, this might be the first time in which Doom is reacting completely defensively. Yeah. That's and Doom, Doom is willing to, to, to believe people are as craven as he is. Great. I guess that's something we can say about Doom in this issue. He's willing to believe, oh yeah, you're willing to kill this man in front of me. Why not? That's great. Keen Ross, thank you so much again for joining us this week. Next week, our special guest, Jeet here will be joining me to discuss Fantastic Four number 39 and 40. Meanwhile, if you've got any questions about anything having to do with Doctor Doom, this show, or Latvarian culture in general that you'd like us to answer, the address to email them to is faithfulretainerboris at voiceoflatveria.com. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswolk, 
You'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel Nerds, the 616 Society. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Walk for the VOL. Douglas Walk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218. His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour, of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel comic story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October. Lord Doom, commands you to order it. Zero, one, one. This is, the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, one. Tomorrow, on Interdimensional Hotspots, we investigate the state of Slorinia. The country formerly known as Dudukmar went tragically silent a few years ago, when Ultron murdered its entire population. When expatriates Lorinians attempted to return home and rebuild, they were forced out by the magical entity known as the Blood Wraith, which had absorbed the vengeful souls of the dead. But mystics, affiliated with the Kingdom of New Avalon, now theorize that a properly enchanted sword could, perhaps, end the Blood Wraith's bond with Slorinia. That's Interdimensional Hotspots, tomorrow on the VOL. This concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies until you die. Zero, one, one.